go with your gut and do what you know versus don't do things you don't know. I find oftentimes that real estate investors tend to follow trends and rather than stick to their knitting. And when you try to be an expert in all, a master of none, you tend to stray from what made you successful in the first place. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. I want to introduce to you Ash Patel. He's a full-time commercial real estate investor. He's going to be doing the interview today and a lot of them moving forward. I'm still going to be doing interviews, just not as many. And he is going to ask tough questions while still building rapport. That way it's not awkward. He's a good friend of mine. Join me in welcoming Ash Patel. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Ash Patel and I'm with today's guest, Mitch Rosen. Mitch is joining us from New York City. He's the senior director and head of real estate at Yield Street. Mitch has over 20 years of commercial real estate investing experience and has $465 million in investments to date. Mitch, thank you for joining us. How are you today? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? Wonderful. Before we get started, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Sure. I've been in the real estate investing space most of my 21-year career. I worked at an investment bank out of college for one year. I spent about two and a half years at a publicly traded commercial mortgage rate, focused on mezzanine and subordinate debt lending. I then joined a hedge fund called Marathon Asset Management in 2004 as they launched the bridge lending program, spent nine years there through the great financial crisis of 08. The back of that got involved in the trading of various CMBS securities, which are bonds backed by commercial real estate loans, as well as uh, private direct lending in the CRE space. I then went to go work for another alternative asset manager called Brigade Capital in 2013 to lead their effort into the investing of the CRE space. I joined Yield Street in October of 18. It's been a fantastic run. We've grown the team immensely. And we do focus here on all aspects of real estate, including senior bridge loans, mezzanine lending, preferred equity, as well as equity investments in direct real estate. And most recently, we just launched an SFR, BFR strategy with a new hire. Coincidentally, a colleague of mine from Marathon back about 12 years ago. What is SFR and VFR? So SFR stands for single family rental product and BFR, B as in boy, stands for build for rent. So building single family homes for the intention of renting them versus selling them as a sale product. High level, what does Yield Street do? Yield Street's an online digital wealth platform with the mission and goal of providing access to the average retail investor to alternative products they otherwise would not have access to. When you think about most investors' investment funds or a portfolio, it's often heavily weighted towards stocks and bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, et cetera. And the fact is that, and you know this all too well looking at your own background, you found the benefits of CRE and commercial real estate investing. And we're trying to provide not just CRE, but other asset class investment opportunities for our users they really can't for, uh, source and find anywhere else. And we're doing that in a very technologically enabled, transparent format that is low on friction costs, low on time, and ease of use, and bring that to the masses. Who's your target user? A target investor is what we call the term Henry's, high earning, not rich yet. These are folks who have capital to de deploy in a bucket of capital that is not as liquid as, say, stocks or bonds, but wants exposure to those asset classes. Our average investor has over $85,000 invested on our platform across five to six different transactions. And so the view is that we want to get them into our ecosystem and show them the benefits of what we can offer them, and hopefully they grow with us. 
So there's got to be a fair amount of education that you have to do to high net worth investors that are not currently exposed to real estate. That's correct. It's not just real estate. We also have a marine finance business. We have a litigation finance business, an art finance business, and a private business credit vertical. The question is a very relevant one. Education to this investor demographic is really key. Most investors that we interface with do not have the experience to decipher the risks and opportunities between, I say, a 7% first mortgage loan and a 10% mezzanine investment. And so what we try to do is distill that information in a very digestible way to best educate them as to what those risks are, what to be thinking about, and how to position this in their portfolio. We are not giving investment advice. I want to be clear on that. We're giving these investors the tools to make their own decisions, but provide that information in a very clear, concise manner. Let's do a deep dive into some of the real estate investments. You have notes, you have different asset types. What kind of return range are we looking at? Since inception, Yield Street, in particular on the CRE side, had focused on the lending side of the business, primarily first mortgage bridge loans. Figure these were loans with coupons between 8 to 12%, terms under two to three years, secured by all types of assets, hotels, office, multifamily, industrial, and retail. I would say that we still look at all those asset classes. We've done virtually nothing in the healthcare space, skilled nursing, memory care, and we've done virtually nothing on the self-storage side. Those are both two asset classes that I don't really know as well. And more importantly, I view them more as operating businesses than I do CRE. As time has evolved and given my background in the more higher yielding structured lending space, we've also been investing in preferred equity investments as well as mezzanine investments. Mitch, is there a minimum amount that an operator can come to you with Good looking question. for capital? Yeah. So our model is a bit unique in that of the, call it 400 plus million of deals we've closed in the CRE vertical approximately in the last three years, I'd say 75% of that is originated with partners. So these are folks who have origination platforms and they have capital to invest alongside us. And so typically the smallest check that we would do is probably about $3 million. So this would be more for syndicators that are already existing to supplement their raise? Yes. But when you say syndicators, that's a fair way to say it. Yes. Uh, Our partners are established origination businesses, primarily on the lending side, who are looking to scale their businesses and find a programmatic partner. And oftentimes that's what we bring to the table, right? We know the space very well. We know how to structure our deals optimally, how to avoid risk and how to kind of optimize for risk and mitigate risk. So we bring some of the table as well in terms of maybe more robust documents, more robust covenants, things like that, that also provide value to our partners. But yes, we are an offtake, if you will, alongside our partners as we originate new loans. And do you invest in any real estate yourself? Yes, I do. I've typically been investing at Yield Street personally through our 40 Act Prism Fund, which is a diversified portfolio. Yes, I do my, own my own home, but I, I wouldn't call that necessarily investing. If somebody gets onto Yield Street looking to deploy capital, where do they start? Great question. So yieldstreet.com is a great place to start, which is our website. If you go there, what you will see is a whole range of investment opportunities that one investor can first obviously sign up for, meaning just log onto the website, create an account. It's quite easy and quite efficient. Now to invest in some of our products, you do need to be verified accredited, which is a process. It's not that long a process, but it's something that needs to be done proactively. The only product we offer to date that is available to any investor regardless of accreditation, is our Yield Street Prism Fund, which is a 40-act closed-end fund that we offer only on our website. And that product offers investors to get access to all the various verticals that we originate product for, which I mentioned earlier, in one single investment product. 
Is there a minimum hold period for some of these? On the single investment offerings on the CRE side in particular and others as well, these are single investment SPVs. So there is no liquidity to date in those investments. So if you put in an investment for 24-month term, you are locked into that transaction until it repays or refinances or is sold. So there is no intermediate liquidity in our single investment offerings to date. We'll get back to the show in just two minutes, but first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. As your portfolio grows, you need financial management services you can rely on to help you save money and continue making the right choices for your company's future. Realestateaccounting.co's top-tier CFO team uses their deep industry and operating experience to guide real estate syndicators, investors, and family offices through every pivotal moment and crucial decision. Their fractional CFO services include budget to actual, cash flow and distributions, and reporting and valuation. Go to realestateaccounting.co forward slash CFO to find out why REA is one of the fastest growing real estate accounting companies around. The real estate experts provide timely analysis and consultations to help you make the most informed decisions possible. See and trust where your portfolio is headed with the customized financial reports based on the KPIs that matter to you and your business. Try it risk-free today at realestateaccounting.co forward slash CFO. If you're not sure where to start investing or need help taking the next step, mentorship and coaching is one of the best ways to get going. Think Multifamily is a leading apartment acquisition and education company who provides true one-on-one coaching to help you invest for your family's future. Their servant leadership approach will guide you to successfully scale your real estate business or assist you to diversify your investments in multifamily. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how they help working professionals just like you transform their future through partnering and community. In fact, the majority of real estate investors who partner with Think Multifamily get involved in a general partnership within six months. Thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching highlights the partnerships, joint ventures, and resources all available through the coaching program. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how to become a member and get involved. On the CRE side, is it more focused on multifamily, retail, office, all the above? I'd say all the above. We definitely have a view on certain asset classes. We like grocery anchor shopping centers. We dislike malls and high-end retail. We like leisure hotels. We don't like business-oriented hotels or convention center hotels. Multifamily is always a very attractive asset class. Same with industrial. I would say we like land as well for the right partner and the right basis. We like lending on land. In terms of office, I'd say that's definitely the hardest asset class right now to triangulate. A lot of moving pieces, a lot of uncertainty. So I think right now that's a hard asset class for us to get really comfortable with. You said that your partners bring you the deals. How do you become a partner with Yield Street? We work with what we like to think of as best-in-class partners. These are originating platforms that have been originating real estate loans for multiple years with a track record that's demonstrable that we could point to and look at and underwrite. We don't just take anyone who wants to syndicate a piece of a loan they have. In fact, I would say we probably reject 95% of the people who reach out to us to do so. But once they connect with us and we kind of vet who they are and what they've done, and review their processes and their internal team structures. Once we get that one deal done, it oftentimes results in multiple deals getting done in short order because at comfort level, the documentation has been baked and prepared, right? So assuming you have a similar view on the real estate, the documentation part, which is often a high friction point, has already been baked and done, and you can just scale the business that way. What's your biggest bottleneck in your business right now? 
Wow, great question. I would say right now, the compression in yields across the markets and lending in particular has really made it hard for us to be competitive to source new business and source new deals. So it seems like there's a race to the bottom in terms of removing yield maintenance parameters, removing typical covenants you'd want to see in a traditional lease that protects a lender and a lot of capital chasing deals out there. And so that's probably the biggest challenge that I would say we see today. And Mitch, prior to the pandemic, I'm assuming you had some exposure to Class A office. How has that held up? It's a great question. We actually didn't have a ton of office exposure. And the reason being, I would say that we've typically focused on the higher yielding, higher levered first mortgage product. We had definitely some hotel exposure and retail exposure, but minimal. But office was often a very unique circumstance. So for example, I'll give you one specific example. We financed a suburban office property in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And you may say, well, why would you be in Santa Fe, New Mexico? We had financed a borrower who secured a 20-year lease with the state. So they were looking for acquisition funds to acquire the property and to complete the build-out so this lease could commence. So our risk there was not really tenant-related, but more execution of closing on the property and delivering the space as the lease prescribed. So that's a deal where you may scratch and say, well, Santa Fe, suburban office, what's the angle there? And I just highlighted a few what we looked for and what we liked about it. So would you call that class A office? I'd say probably not. I would say the tenant quality is class A and the return profile we got for that associated risk was quite attractive. So those things have worked out actually. We've not had really any disruption in the office assets we had. Any exposure to the hotel industry? Yes. We have currently about two loans left. We had about five entering COVID. A bunch of those have paid off. The two we have left have both been extended and forbeared, as is expected in this marketplace today. The key there is working with borrowers who are being constructive and working to solve problems. To the extent that they're willing to do that, we're willing to work with all of our borrowers. At the end of the day, my job and our job here at Yield Street is to provide the return we prescribe to our investors in the timeframe we allot them. When stuff goes sideways, we need to pivot and be responsive but we don't want to own real estate. That's not what we're here to do. So if I have a borrower who's willing to play ball and be constructive, we will always work with them. You mentioned some of these assets go into SPVs as single asset funds. Yes. So in that case, those investors during forbearance do not get a return. It depends. Every deal has its own circumstances. Most forbearances in our case, where there may have been some form of a default, it could be technical, it could be a maturity default, However, the borrower continues to pay interest. They are willing to enter to a modification agreement with us. That could be a combination of a principal payment, chewing up interest reserve, chewing up a tax reserve, chewing up an insurance reserve. When they're committing more capital to that deal, I have no problem forbearing a default to get to a place of getting us repaid. Now, if a borrower came and said, listen, guys, tough luck. Give me a forbearance. I'm not putting any more money up and I want a waiver. That's a hard conversation to have. So in the cases of our forbearances, we are earning, accruing an interest return of some prescribed amount. In many cases, it's also being currently paid. In some cases, I will say it has been more of a pick structure, right? Where there's an accruing balance of time that's going to be paid upon resolution. Yeah. Great example of having that conversation and creating a win-win. Yes. Uh, so in terms of yields right now, what are your thoughts in the future? 10 years or all over the board? I learned early in my career in real estate, there's two things you really can't underwrite maybe three things. The first is interest rates and the second is environmental risk. So I've always tried to be thoughtful about what can I have a really constructive view on and what am I really just kind of guessing on? So in terms of yields and where those are going, I have a, an opinion 
I wouldn't say it's quite informed. It's really more about just what I see in the marketplace. But the fact is that we've been in a very low rate environment for many, many years since 07, since 08. And I think we're almost addicted to that environment right now. I think any meaningful move higher in that's going to really cause a disruption in the marketplace. And so I don't really see a scenario where we move back to LIBOR at 550 over or 450 over like it was in June of 07. So that often should lead one to invest in inflationary gaining assets like real estate, right? Rents are going up, values are going up, either lending to those or investing in them as equity. You should benefit from that asset inflation. The key though, is ensuring that you're protected on the downside, right? So we need to get out and you want to hit the exit button. If the marketplace is dramatically different from a yield perspective, you could get impacted. And so I think unfortunately right now, if you look at the marketplace, a lot of optimism, a lot of betting on future rent growth that may or may not come to fruition and picking the right market, picking the right property is really key there. So I would say rates would be higher in 10 years out for sure. I can't see it being this low for that long. I think the repercussions are quite dramatic. Where that would shake out, I don't have a great answer for you. I think the 10 year shouldn't be sub one and a half percent. I'll tell you that. I think it should be probably mid twos to 3%. Yeah. Keep getting surprised on that one. Yeah. Any thoughts on the eviction moratoriums and the impact that yeah. they'll have on the real that's estate a, market? That's a difficult question to answer because I definitely empathize with people who have suffered immensely through COVID. People's lives have been materially disrupted, their jobs, their livelihoods, their families. At the same time, to have the landlords bear that is also maybe not a fair way to treat it. Those same owners have lenders, they have taxes to be paid, utilities, expenses for people that work on the properties. I think there are some people who are trying to be very constructive in finding solutions there. At this point now, a year and a half in, there's a meaningful burden being placed on real estate owners, particularly multifamily side, that has really meaningful repercussions down the road, I don't think are being really taken into account. And so ideally, what you'd want to see is a format where owners and renters find a common ground to work together, like I mentioned with the hotel deal I highlighted. I just don't think that's happening right now. And I think the moratorium is effectively providing shielding for those homeowners or those renters, I should say, to not be constructive and try to find solutions. Now, whether those people can pay or not pay, I don't know the answer. The hope is that if they could pay, they would try to pay. If they can't, they would raise their hand and say, I need help. And I hope that help could be there for them. But I do think it really creates additional complexity and trouble in the marketplace that is hard to triangulate and think about. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Do you manage your own rental properties? If you do, or if you're about to, I want to tell you about RentReady because I'm guessing they have some services that you wish you had. RentReady is a property management software that allows you to manage your business from your computer or phone. With RentReady, you're able to collect rent online and get paid. Find the perfect tenant with a built-in screening and listing service and get your leases signed with the click of a button. And tenants really love using RentReady's app too. They can pay rent using the card, ACH, cash. They can set up auto pay, get renter's insurance if you require it. And they can even build their credit score through RentReady's new credit reporting feature. And the best part, RentReady is unlimited. That's right. All this is flat priced. There's no tricks or hidden fees. RentReady is designed for investors who manage their own properties so that you don't have to worry about paying more for building your business. You can start managing and scaling your rental properties without scaling costs. And RentReady has given us an amazing deal to pass on to the best ever listeners. You can get RentReady's annual plan for only 54 bucks 
at rentready.com when you use our special code BESTEVER. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I dot com with the code B-E-S-T-E-V-E-R at rentready.com to get Rent Ready's annual plan for only 54 bucks. Here's a problem you're probably not solving for right now. Have you ever had a tenant squat inside your rental and refuse to pay rent? Or are you worried about renting to a serial rent dodger? You've probably used a credit report for tenant screening before. But what if I told you you're missing out on info you need to properly verify prospective tenants? That's a problem, and the solution is Rentify. Rentify provides a summary of a prospective tenant's financial information using bank-verified transactional data you can't get from a credit check. This includes monthly income, payroll, past rent payments, and identity verification. Rentify's reports also highlight non-sufficient funds, overdraft history, and missed rent payments. It's all available at www.trustrentify.com. The best part is Rentify's financial reports instantly verify the full financial picture of a tenant within minutes, so you will no longer have to waste hours or even days verifying their information manually. And you can eliminate the risk of being duped by fraudulent documents and losing thousands of dollars getting unreliable tenants evicted. Visit TrustRentify.com and use the promo code FAIRLESS for 25% off your first report package. That's T-R-U-S-T-R-E-N-T-I-F-Y.com. Put in the promo code FAIRLESS, F-A-I-R-L-E-S-S, for 25% off your first report package. Mitch, how does Yield Street attract the Henrys, the high earners? <laughs> so that's really the special sauce, right? How do you source those investors? How do you bring them into the ecosystem and how do you keep them there? We have a whole team dedicated on the marketing side of how do we message to the users? Where do we find them? What do we speak to in terms of their needs, their desires, their goals? A lot of it's social marketing. A lot of it is social media marketing. A lot of it is referrals. People who have come to the platform had a great experience and refer their friends. A lot of it is doing podcasts like this and getting our message out. We are, I would say, a very well-known platform out there across multiple asset classes. There are some competitors of ours that are single asset only. We really provide a diversified opportunity set across multiple asset classes, including most recently structured notes, which you really can't find anywhere else for a retail user. So we help to grow that user base and continue to expand it over time. But a lot of it is kind of word of mouth and marketing. Are some of your partners the big Wall Street banks when it comes to the CMBS loans? We don't really play in that sector. That's often a 10-year fixed rate product on more stabilized assets. Right now, AAA CMBS bonds are trading at about swaps plus 75 basis points. So you're looking at all in on a 10-year loan or 10-year bond, I should say under 2.5%. So that's not really an avenue that we're playing in. CMBS this year, actually, the traditional product I'm highlighting is actually issuance is lower than the CRE CLO market in 2021. And that market's more of the bridge balance sheet lenders who issue their own liabilities to, to finance their balance sheets. So it's the first time that I can be aware of a recall ever where you're seeing conduit or fixed rate CMBS loan issuance lower than a floating rate product. I can't recall a time ever where that happened. So I think that speaks to the growth of the private lending market, the growth of insurance companies, and the growth of alternative lending opportunities that may be more competitive and more attractive than traditional Wall Street Bank CMBS lending. With the amount of money that's on the sidelines, what possible event can negate that? Let me think about that for a second. Whatever I say inevitably will not be the thing that actually triggers it, right? I think a common buzzword out there now is inflation. 
Another one is fear of another wave of COVID or some other fear of a dislocating event that you really can't pinpoint or solve for quite easily. Inevitably, something will arise. It could be something like the Arch Ghost default in Asia, but it's on a bigger scale or a specific sector of the marketplace that really implodes. I don't know what it's going to be, but I am confident that something will be happening that will cause people to reset expectations, to reprice risk, to think about risk in a different paradigm. And inevitably, it does come back. The question is how quickly and to what extent. But if you look at where we are today, first where we were in February of 2020, the month before COVID really hit us, I would say we're well through spreads, tighter spreads. High yield bonds are trading at the lowest point relative to treasuries, and I think ever. So people are not pricing risk appropriately on a historical basis. So there's a lot of susceptibility to a market movement or gyration that causes a lot of volatility and pain. I just don't know what that's going to be. I don't have a view on that. Yeah, Mitch, this is probably a question you don't get very often, but what is your best real estate investing advice ever? My best advice I would say is go with your gut and do what you know versus don't do things you don't know. I find oftentimes that real estate investors tend to follow trends and rather than stick to their knitting. And when you try to be an expert in all, a master of none, you tend to stray from what made you successful in the first place. So when I think about my own career, I've not been, for example, a balance sheet construction lender before, managing a construction project, stepping in when a problem goes, inevitably happens, budget overruns. I'd rather work with partners who have deep expertise and benches of experience to facilitate investing in that space, right? I know what I know and I know what I don't know. I say maybe that's a better way to say it. Know what you know, know what you don't know, and invest yeah. accordingly. Mitch, are you ready for the lightning round? Let's go. Let's do it. Let's do it. Mitch, what's the best ever book you recently read? Den of Thieves, which is a book taking place in the 80s, Ivan Boski and, and Marty Siegel. I'm very nostalgic for the 80s. I think of that time as a really, maybe even a corollary to some of the ways to now. Wall Street and finance was booming. A lot of money to be made. A lot of people got over their skis and made some mistakes. The book reads like a fiction book, but in fact, it was real, which is the interesting part about it. What's the best ever way you like to give back? I always support a lot of uh, charities around the environment. I'm also on the board of my local synagogue, so I give back that way as well. But I really am a big believer in environmental impact and trying to protect our planet and think thoughtfully about water purity and air purity and animal preservation and, and forestation, stuff like that. Mitch, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? Great question. I would say come to the Yield Street website and shoot us any question you have. I'm responsive. I'm happy to kind of answer any questions people have and get them educated, get them in the ecosystem and, and get them involved. Well, Mitch, thank you for taking time out of your day today to share some of your thoughts on the overall economic health of our country right now and teaching us a little bit more about what Yield Street does. So we appreciate your time today. Ash, I want to say thank you on behalf of myself and the Yield Street team. Thanks for having us today. We really appreciate it. Best ever listeners. Thanks for joining us. Have a best ever day.